Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Tuesday, October 19th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a look at the micronation of West Arctica, whose Grand Duke Travis started a non-profit arm of the micronation to raise awareness about the consequences of the climate emergency in Western Antarctica. Plus, Astro Access successfully completed their first zero-G flight with their disability ambassadors, taking an important step towards space accessibility and inclusivity. And in our latest shortage report, the 12-foot Home Depot skeletons. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Let's talk about micronations, political entities that claim sovereign statehood but are not recognized by any international bodies. As the Wall Street Journal described them in a piece last summer, quote, Micronations are tiny, imaginary countries lying somewhere between libertarian fantasy and a game of Dungeons and Dragons. They involve a constellation of would-be presidents, kings, or emperors who invent their own countries for fun, like a role-playing game that is spun out of control. Some design flags or claim territories as a satire of how real-life countries work, others to make a political point or as an academic exercise. No actual countries recognize them. The empire of Austinasia's capital is a terraced house in southwest London. Liberland claims a flood-prone sliver of land on the western bank of the Danube between Croatia and Serbia. The first micronations appeared early in the 20th century, mostly as experiments into what goes into making up a nation. The arrival of the internet helped many more plant a flag, at least online. Sometimes they claim territory at sea, such as uninhabited islands or floating seasteads anchored to the ocean floor. The Principality of Sealand is a disused naval platform seven and a half miles off the east coast of England that has its own sports teams and issues dukedoms and other noble titles at a range of price points. End quote. A few other examples, there's Malosia, whose currency is tied to the value of a 30-ounce tube of Pillsbury chocolate chip cookie dough, but is otherwise fairly serious. Quoting Newsweek, with territorial holdings in the states of California and Nevada, the 11-acre Republic of Malosia has its own currency, postal service, national parks, volcanological institute, connection to Arthurian legend, national musical instrument, the kazoo-like malazophone, Rockets Program, and Railroad. President Kevin Baugh has been leader of Malosia since 1999. While embodying a light spirit and a certain brand of political satire, Malosia nurtures a surprisingly robust civic life and emulates, in miniature, many of the functions of the modern state, with outreach via an online radio show, newsletter, and state visits with fellow micronations. End quote. There's also the Ambulatory Free States of Obsidia, which is a matriarchal anti-state focused on feminist and LGBTQ-grounded alternatives to capitalism, and whose landmass consists of two hunks of a volcanic rock, small enough to be transported inside a briefcase, as it often is, hence the ambulatory part of the name. Similarly creative with their territory, the space nation of Asgardia has claimed sovereignty over a satellite the size of a bread tin that it had launched into orbit. The Russian businessman who founded the space nation of Asgardia is planning to soon issue their own cryptocurrency. 
And there's one of the oldest micronations, Elor, located on the Danish island Zealand and founded in 1944 by a group of teachers. It has a population of 275 royal leaders and its own time zone, which is 12 minutes behind Copenhagen's. But I want to talk today about West Arctica. With the sovereign territory located on a 620,000 square mile slice of western Antarctica, this micronation has the distinct privilege of being located on what is commonly considered the largest unclaimed territory on Earth. Officially, to non-West Arcticans, it's known as Marie Bird Land, after the wife of Admiral Bird. Afar recently ran a profile on the micronation and its transformation from eccentric micronation to impactful nonprofit. Founded in 2001 by His Royal Highness Travis I, Grand Duke, West Arctica is a bit more old school in its attempt to claim an actual physical territory, as opposed to micronations like the ambulatory free states of Obsidia and the space nation of Asgardia, who are more reflective of the post-internet trend in which founders get a lot more creative with the word territory. Though Grand Duke Travis McHenry hasn't actually ever been to West Arctica, let alone does he live there. So after discovering that there was a sector between 90 degrees west and 150 degrees west in Antarctica with no formal claims on it when he was casually reading the CIA World Factbook during a stint as an intelligence specialist in the Navy, now Grand Duke McHenry drafted some letters to the nations with territorial claims in other parts of Antarctica as well as to the State Department's Office of Oceans and Polar Affairs declaring himself Consul General. No one ever answered any of his letters. But he pushed ahead nonetheless. At first, it was called the Achaean Territory of Antarctica, and McHenry had real dreams of visiting the place and setting up a permanent camp. He built a website about it, which several people found and latched onto. Within a few years, though, he changed his aims. Instead of a territory, he would make it a sovereign state, and he renamed it West Arctica. Much catchier. Quoting afar, he crowned himself Grand Duke and got married, with his bride wearing a tiara during the wedding ceremony. He gave royal titles to friends and family, barons, dukes, counts, countesses. The name's a hybrid of actual locations in West Arctica and pulled from Emil Ludwig's 1928 biography of Napoleon. End quote. Despite micronations generally being considered harmless, the Navy was nonetheless not exactly pleased about McHenry, quote, communicating with foreign governments, end quote, in his time off. So he either had to abandon the project or lose his security clearance in the Navy. So McHenry had another West Arctica citizen take over, but that didn't last too long, so then he got another citizen, specifically another duke, to take over. That barely lasted a year. And then, by 2010, McHenry had left the Navy and could now be fully in control of West Arctica again, so he resumed his title as Grand Duke. But still, for several years, McHenry said he didn't really do anything with the project, and he felt he hadn't been living up to his original goals, which were to protect that unclaimed parcel of land in Antarctica. So, he decided to go all in on raising awareness to protect the land. He essentially turned the micronation into a nonprofit focused on fighting climate change as a voice for Western Antarctica. West Arctica's 2,300 citizens now perform their civic duties by participating in a myriad of campaigns, from letter-writing drives to attending rallies, and have helped the now-official 501c3 raise over $20,000 just last year, all of which goes back into its campaigns, partnerships, and scholarships, none of it to McHenry's wallet. 
The Micronation Come Nonprofit has 26 diplomatic representatives across nations spanning Brazil, Japan, Ukraine, and more. And as West Arctica approaches its 20th anniversary, McHenry plans to step down as the executive director of the nonprofit arm. He'll remain chairman of the board and retain the Grand Ducal crown, but after a planned ceremony in Charlotte, North Carolina next month, he'll let the next generation take the reins on West Arctica's climate work. McHenry told Afar, quote, West Arctica has gone from an ego project to being of service to the environment. The work that I do is not for my own benefit or aggrandizement anymore. End quote. But if you still want to lean into the whimsy of West Arctica as well as its important mission, I'll drop a link in the show notes to their official national anthem, which you can listen to on their YouTube channel. So earlier this year, I mentioned that the European Space Agency put out a call for people with disabilities to apply to become astronauts, a great step forward in making spaceflight more accessible to all types of people. Meanwhile, here in the States, Haley Arsenault became the first person with the prosthesis to travel in space when she joined the Inspiration4 mission from SpaceX last month. But we still have quite a ways to go before people with disabilities become full-fledged astronauts or even regular space travelers. And one organization trying to speed up the process and make sure that it's done right is SciAccess, an initiative that seeks to develop and promote equitable science access. And their Mission AstroAccess division is specifically working to advance disability inclusion in space. And on Sunday, they took a big step forward when 12 of their disability ambassadors successfully completed a weightless parabolic flight at 32,000 feet. Quoting Space.com, The flight took place aboard Zero Gravity Corporation's Zero-G G-Force 1 plane, which flies in a series of parabolas to create periodic feelings of both weightlessness and increased gravity inside the cabin. The 12 ambassadors on board, which included people with mobility, vision, and hearing disabilities, conducted demonstrations and experiments during the flights. They aim to use their experience to improve the understanding of what spacecraft environments could and should be like to be more inclusive and accessible for all. End quote. The group included students, veterans, athletes, and artists. One of them, Mary Cooper, an aerospace engineering and computer science student at Stanford University, told Space.com, quote, I really wanted to demonstrate that I'm able to maneuver and take care of my disability in the same way that I do on Earth, so that I'd be able to do that in the zero-gravity environment. So I took off my prosthetic leg, and I even let it float around for a bit, which is a surreal, euphoric experience, to say the least. And from there, I was also able to put it back on as well. End quote. Apart from having what looks like an absolute blast, now that they've all had first-hand experience, Cooper and the others have suggestions for how the spacecraft cabin can be made more accessible, including features like footrails and magnetic surfaces. As the European Space Agency works on recruiting their para-astronauts, as they're calling them now, they plan on working with them to determine what similar accommodations might be necessary. Though at the time, they so far are only accepting applications from people with leg amputations, lower limb differences, or who are under 130 centimeters tall, or around 4 foot 3. As they said in a statement at the time, they are, quote, ready to invest in defining the necessary adaptations of space hardware in an effort to enable these otherwise excellently qualified professionals to serve as crew members on a safe and useful space mission, end quote. 
You know, we talk a lot about space tourism opening doors for at least anyone wealthy enough or lucky enough to take a quick trip up there. But opening doors for people to train as fully qualified astronauts is even cooler, in my opinion, because the ESA got it right when they said, otherwise excellently qualified. Like, all that's missing is a little research and a few accommodations on their end. So I'm glad to see all this in motion and looking forward to see what else comes out of Astro Access. So you know the 12-foot-tall Home Depot skeleton that made a splash last Halloween? It was a bit of a risk of a product from Home Depot. I mean, at 12 feet tall and costing a few hundred dollars, that's a pretty big commitment for someone to splurge on. But wow, did it ever pay off. People flocked to Home Depot in droves to get their hands on their own skelly, as countless photos and videos featuring the jumbo skeleton went viral on social media last fall. And this year, not only is the original Skelly back, he's also joined by a 12-foot-tall, even scarier-looking, pumpkin-headed skeleton. But good luck finding either one at Home Depot. The latest and clearly most dire shortage in the U.S. is the 12-foot Home Depot skeleton and his 12-foot Inferno pumpkin skeleton with LifeEyes TM friend. Truly, will the supply chain problems ever cease? I mean, really, this is just going too far now. Actually, there's no indication that the shortage has anything to do with the supply chain. It's all to do with the absolute fervor the Skelebros have inspired. They're basically never in stock online, and intrepid fans tip each other off about in-store inventory so quickly that you can almost never find one on the shelf, unless you join 22,000 other people in the 12-foot skeleton Halloween Club Facebook group, where a recent Code Orange alert about skeletons being restocked resulted in them being sold out again just 16 minutes later. But even then, you might never get the real deal. Because the pure and innocent spookiness of old Skelly just couldn't last in our cynical world. Not only are people buying up extras of the skeleton to hawk on eBay for as much as $2,500, eight times more than its price at Home Depot, making it even tougher for people to just buy one in the store, but some of the skeletons they're selling are not the actual 12-foot Home Depot skeletons, and sometimes they're just ghosting customers altogether. Input Mag spoke to a few of these unlucky skeleton fans. Nettie Landry from Ohio tried buying two of them from an ad on her Facebook feed, only to receive a delivery confirmation claiming they'd arrived at her house, even though they were nowhere to be found. She's tried following up, but has yet to get a refund. And over in North Carolina, couple Lisa and Chip Morehouse Saab did manage to get the original Skelly at Home Depot, but then Chip saw a Facebook ad for the new Pumpkinhead one for just $40, so he gleefully ordered it. When it arrived, it was a tiny 12-inch tall orange plastic skeleton. Not at all what they wanted, and definitely not worth 40 bucks, though I guess it's better than them paying 400 bucks or 2,000. Still, if you have any interest in getting one of these skeletons, stick to Home Depot's actual stores and website, and cross-check any claims with that 12-foot Home Depot skeleton Halloween Club Facebook group. Those folks are the experts. Experts in the 12-foot Home Depot skeleton. What an amazing thing to be an expert in.
All right, well, that is it from me for today. But as always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.